0: back to another episode of the Dairy Meets Beef podcast. In today's episode we'll be discussing everything forages from growing corn under plastic, corn in the field, earlich, alfalfa and barley silage. So turn up the dial in your tractor and enjoy the ride. Half second of silence.
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Dairy Meets Beef weekly podcast. My name is Lance Nielsen. And I'm joined with Jake Vermeer and we are ready to bring you another good evening of, of uh, dairy and beef cattle talk. How are you doing today, Jake?
0: Good. I got my shorts on. It's a summer, nice summer evening on April 15th. Can't get much better than this.
1: It is a beautiful evening. We're just out, uh, just before we started this podcast, my wife and I went out, took a tour through all the calves, and that's just, it's just beautiful. The Robins have came back and you can hear them chirping and it's just, it's really, really beautiful. It's a very enjoyable evening.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I can see the setting sun right now. It's nine o'clock while we're, uh, while we're recording and that, that makes the biggest difference. I always find you start feeling getting way more energy throughout the summer and the spring, just an automatic uh, boost to your energy levels. And I see the same with the cows, actually. Cows always produce more milk in the spring, and that's just a natural cycle of the cow. You just, daylight hours get longer, you start seeing it end of February, beginning of March, and cows start producing more, so it's always good.
1: And the bulls become big jerks. <laughs> <They> get, <laughs> the days get warmer, you know, bulls, you sit in there all all you know, fall and winter, and they're really not that big a deal. Boy, you get to this time of year, and- they're looking for love in all the wrong places right now and a little more difficult to manage and keep away from everything. But
0: So yeah, do, you, do you have to manage them regularly, like on a daily basis? Or I always just thought it was, it's bedding, feeding and, and making sure well, they don't just, hurt themselves. Just keep them away. You know, if they can
1: start, like I turned, I let the cows out of a uh, kind of enclosed area and let them bore out to a little bit bigger pasture. And I, I was over by the bulls after I did that and the cows started kind of walking, there was, was a good quarter mile still between them and those bulls they caught a look at that and they're looking over the fence at the cows and they're just they they it caught their attention and uh you just got to make sure your fencing's good they're they're ready for action so
0: yeah they're uh they're dangerous we we have a pretty strict rule of not having any bulls or at least no bulls past the age of like three years old in our farm just it's uh we had a train yeah. wreck like 10, 15 years ago with my dad. I think he broke six different ribs, getting attacked by a big, mean Holstein bull. It was actually yeah. lucky that that he survived it, got pushed right through the fence, and that's how the bull couldn't get him anymore. But the funny part, if, if there's a funny part to that story, was the next day, I think I was nine years old, eight or nine years old, the hired hand actually caught me before I could go in the pen with a two-by-six because I was going to go hurt that bull because it hurt my dad. Oh, was really? <laughs> lucky that the employee caught me. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that but, was
1: uh, we don't have quite the same problem with beef bulls. I'm not; it's not dangerous or scary. It's just they're just a pain in the butt this time of year because they're just yeah. wanting to wanting to get out there. But anyways, yeah, it's good. that you our calving has slowed down a lot. I think the last episode before podcast there, I think I was kind of a walking zombie mm-hmm. through most of that podcast, but. uh the sleep has caught back up a bit better now. We're only having a calf or two or three a day, not, not too crazy. And it's uh, nice. getting, feeling a lot better about it now.
0: Yeah. So now you got cropping right around the corner. That's kind of getting exciting.
1: Yeah, it is. You start all of a sudden realizing that things are, uh, the weather is warm, the days are warm and soil temperatures coming up. And I think that's what we, uh, that's what we should talk about this podcast is our cropping decisions and, and why we are uh, making those choices. That's ex- actually, it's something that I find one of the most intriguing parts about uh, talking with you and, and dairy, the dairy industry takes their feed quality a lot more seriously than the beef industry does. And I think the beef industry has a lot to learn from that. And in fact, there's there's a few things that I'm doing this year from from things that I've learned from you or, or gleaned from things that you've said that, that make sense. And I think this is when we started the Dairy Meets Beef podcast, this is one of the things in my head that. I thought was one of the most important aspects that that beef could learn from dairy.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I'll I'll, I'll I'll share kind of how our farm thinks about it. Like I, uh, we've all, my my dad's always been big into making good quality feed. It's just the easiest driver uh, of milk production and and the most cost effective by growing your own good feed. But I worked uh, right after college, I worked in Eastern Germany for a month at my dad's cousin's farm. Um, uh, I never really met the guy, but just set it up between us and, and he was good with me coming over for a month and helping him out. And he uh, he had a very subpar farm. It was an old communist bullstead farm that he turned into a dairy farm. Um, uh, so it was kind of like when the border opened, was that early 90s, right, when the wall came down? or Mm -hmm. late 80s I forget well I wasn't born but I think that's when it was and uh, so then a lot of you shouldn't you shouldn't reference those kind of phrases that you weren't born at that time
1: (laughs) make me feel old but yeah it was somewhere in there 90 91 I think
0: yeah something like that yeah I remember seeing it in the textbook but uh, yeah um, so he he moved uh, he immigrated up that way because farms were actually pretty cheap when that wall came down on the east side of Germany and uh, a lot more land and bigger farms and stuff so Um, he moved out that way, but so he had a very subpar farm, like not very nice facilities, but he got pretty good milk production. And the biggest thing he always said is like, I focus, like I put all my effort in when, when I have the chance and it's only a few times a year to make the best quality feed I can. And and I really took that home with me. Like how, how can we improve feed efficiency and and, the, and the quality of feed. And then especially just like, you know, like living up here in uh, north central Alberta, it's just the, the conditions for growing good feed aren't really there. Like we're limited really up until 10 years ago to barley silage for growing high energy feed. And uh, if you look at everywhere else in the world, and I always joke, like if you were God and you had to choose where to put all the dairy farms in Canada, you sure wouldn't put them in north central Alberta. You'd put them in southern, southern Ontario or southern Manitoba, southern BC where the, where the big corn patches are. And, uh, and I just think that now with some of the technology that we have, we're finally starting to grow good corn and it sure makes a difference on the, on the milk production and the, and even the feed costs.
1: So, yeah, when, when you talk about, and you talk passionately about, you know, the feed quality for milk production and, and, you know, every time you do, I think to myself, okay, well, I'm just growing beef. Like if, mm-hmm. if you're growing, if you, if you're growing milk and you need the, the proper quality of, of nutrition uh, feed value and, and quality of feed for high for, for high increased milk production It's it applies to the beef as well and I think beef especially cow calf guys have taken too much just you know whatever it's cow feed you, you cut it late you get a little rain on it you know I, I don't think there's the same level of, of concern And so then we get to a year like this where barley is incredibly high to add to the ration Mm -hmm. and it becomes very more apparent that, you know, maybe if I would have made a different cropping decision or maybe if I would have made a different timing decision, even for your forages, I would have made a different timing decision and cut earlier and maybe spent that money to wrap it in plastic because I had to cut earlier and the weather's not good in June or something. Maybe that still pays for itself because you know, if you don't have to buy barley, you know, barley when well, barley seven dollars that that's that's a big deal. Yeah, definitely. I'm just gonna
0: sneeze here.
1: Well, I'll let you sneeze, but we can talk about you know our our timing. Not it's not just crop uh, the crops that we plant either. I think it's also the timing that we use or that we that we harvest it at. You know, again the cow calf guy in Alberta. You know, you're cutting hay middle of July and on you know, barley silage, you're sitting there and, um, you know, you want the most amount of tons. Like it ends up being mm-hmm. beef guys and cow calf guys talk about tons Yeah. and that's not,
0: that's not the metric that we should be worried about. So some of the metrics to, to those same crops that we look at in the dairy industry, um, alfalfa is 5% bloom. So as soon as the crop is, is at 5% bloom cut it because you lose energy as that plant starts to flower. So and I've always,
1: I've always been, we use the rule of thumb at 30% bloom as a beef guy, 30 to 50% bloom. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you've lost most of your energy already. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that makes a big difference. Um, timing cuts to 28 days, like that's the rule of thumb. So, um, uh, and then we'll spray liquid fertilizer on our cuts. Yeah. Like right, at, right after a cut. Now you have to time that with a bit of rain. So if you get really lucky. Yeah, you get a half inch right after you take your cut off, and you spray some liquid fertilizer on right before. That makes a huge difference in getting that regeneration um, uh, for the next cut. Getting your crops off quick, so probably not making hay off your first cut. And I'm talking in a, in a year like we've pretty much averaged three cuts. Like it's for us be- because of how quick we cut. Not worrying on tonnage. Um, uh, we'll we'll usually get three cuts. In the time that we've lived here in Camrose, um, uh, so just getting your first cut off, putting it up as haylage, putting it up as baleage, uh, wrapping whatever. Don't make, don't try to make hay on your first cut because in June you usually get some rain. It's pretty tough to make dry hay in in June. So we're usually chopping uh, first cut silage by like June twentieth, usually June June fifteenth to June twentieth, and then basically every twenty eight days after that we try to make it cut. So we. Uh, we actually made a decision this year like last year we we waited also because our our first cut was a, a new a new uh, field that was seeded with alfalfa and a little bit of grass and uh it what the tonnage wasn't there and we waited and waited and then finally took it and then on the second one we waited again because there just wasn't a whole lot there because it's a new field and this year we've like now in the winter we've like set sops really for ourselves even though it, it's me and dad to make these decisions. We basically like set clear cut SOPs like, Hey, if it's 28 days later and that field's 5%, don't look at how many tons are there, cut it, bail it, cut it, silage it, get it off and get ready for the next one. Take your loss, but keep your quality. Even if you're a ton less, keep your quality. Cause that's where, that's where the milk comes from. And that's the most important part. Yeah.
1: And that's, that's just contrary. So,
0: so much contrary to what I have
1: but in the past you know you're always, always the metric and yeah so this year I'm going to take a page from your guys's book I'm not sure how it's going to apply as much you know you are in a wetter area I'm farther south than you mm-hmm. yeah. um, you're not you're an hour north of me you definitely have a deeper topsoil layer a nice black loam topsoil layer and you get more moisture than we do yeah with that said though I, I'm not convinced I'll get a third cut but I do plan on taking it as uh, haylage in June, wrapping it, probably bale it and just wrap it, tube wrap it or whatever. And then, yeah, be ready for a higher quality second cut. But even that first cut is going to be better quality than my mid-July trying to get it dry first cut, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I went on both accounts and, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to put up fairly good quality barley silage this year. And then when barley started getting pretty high and I used up all my homegrown barley, I wasn't too keen on buying much more and you know we found some pretty good ways to make a ration without any rolled barley and if i had some high quality added to add into that it would have been a lot easier
0: yeah definitely and, and just keeping the weight on those cows during those cold months without having to add the rolled barley in there that's that's where you guys can keep your feed costs down significantly yeah you bet so what are you what what uh annual crops are you growing so growing a lot of corn this year. Um, so for those that don't know, we uh, we seed uh, about eighty percent of our corn underneath biodegradable plastic film. Um, uh, so we're going to continue that. This will be our uh, third year doing it. I think third, no fourth year doing it actually. Um, uh, so that's super exciting. Um, uh, we last year we had the best corn we ever grew, like uh, hands down. We're sitting up in the one point seven nel range. At, averaging over 30% starches on, on all of our corn silages. So um, those are some pretty phenomenal numbers. And those are really driven down our feed costs. Our feed costs are sitting almost a dollar lower a cow a day than they were last year at this time. Um, so that's massive efficiencies for us. And a big wow. part of that, and I think this would apply to the beef world eventually, is earlage. So we're, uh, we're chopping uh, the ears or the cobs out of the corn plants. So we basically attach uh, a, com- a corn combine header, like with those fingers onto a chopper, and they pull the cobs through the chopper and push the stalks and the leaves down, and then chop that up. So we get about usually seven eight tons, so roughly 40% or 50% of the ma- mature crop. And we pull that through the chopper, chop it up, and we make high moisture corn, sil- Or yeah, corn grain silage, basically we call it. And uh, that works really good for us because that runs up in the 1.9 to almost 2 NEL. Um, and uh, I think dry corn grain from a combine is about 2.1 NEL. So we're really close to, to dry corn. And for us up here in North Central Alberta, like we're just never going to make dry corn grain. It, it, you might get one year out of five with the plastic where we'll be actually able to combine corn. But for a dairy or for a, a livestock farm that doesn't need to market corn grain, it's not a big deal. Our cows will consume that anyway. And sure, we'll have a bit more moisture in that silage. But uh, to the cows, it makes no difference. And for the ration, we'll we'll equate for it. Um, uh, and that alone has driven down our price, especially this year, where commodity prices are up. So you're talking about your barley prices being up, corn prices are up just the same. Like we can usually buy corn grain in for about 270 delivered into the yard. And I think right now our last loads we're buying in are like 350, 360. So that's a huge difference. And the earlage costs us about two hundred dollars a dry ton to make. Um, uh, so that's that eighty-five percent dry matter to uh, keep it on the same playing field as as corn grain. So we're we're talking like hundred fifty dollars cheaper than what we're buying in corn grain for. So that's that's where a lot of our efficiencies and, and uh, uh, pushing down the feed costs has come this shears because we're able to grow our own earlage on farm and make our own corn grain basically.
1: Oh, that's my plan. I'm growing corn for the first time this year. I'm not growing it under plastic because that machine is that you guys have is not, you know, very readily accessible. Yep. That's, a, that's a step I do want to take one day. But I'm just going to plant corn more traditionally. It's my first time doing it. And I also plan to do ear And that is not something I've heard any other beef guy do,
0: yeah.
1: uh, beef farm do. But that, that is the plan. The only caveat to that will be finding a custom operator that has the, the combine header to make the corn earlidge. I've talked to a couple and they don't have them. One's willing to maybe buy one or, or get it figured out. But, uh, you know, then I, then I plan on turning the beef cows in, you know, in that November timeframe and they can eat the rest of the stocks, which don't have a ton of nutritional value. I'll have to supplement, but they'll be able to clean them up, I think. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's my plan right now. That'll work that'll definitely work good because we look at that uh, we looked at the, the refuse that stays behind the the stalks and the leaves and we kind of said like. yeah do we do we? we don't have our own chopper either I think if you had your own chopper you'd run back out there and go chop it all up. But we don't have it so we're running at $800 an hour for a chopper it's just you're not going to go out there and chop up heifer feed basically or dry cow feed so. Uh, we left it laying too. It's great organic material. I mean, it definitely has value for the soil. Like when you're putting seven ton back into the soil, I mean, that's, that's pretty big for the soil too. So, but running your beef cows out there and getting them to scavenge for what's left that that'll work. Awesome. Um, uh, I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's the future of, of Western Canadian uh, corn production is this plastic. Um, uh, and I know Um, We're actually like the Alberta distributor for it, but uh, I know that uh, they have a prototype coming out or it's being demoed right now in in Ireland and England, but uh, we'll be be able to actually cover only one single row of corn versus the double. And that should decrease the cost by about 30% because now we're covering 30% less of the field, but that will also increase the uh, productivity in a single day. Right now on a six row corn seeder, so three rows of film, we're only really like seeding on a good day 50 acres. So it takes a long time and a lot of manual labor because you got to go out every uh, 3.75 acres and change three pound rolls. So, I mean, it's a lot of work, Um, uh, but now when we start putting uh, six 1.25 acre rolls on these planters, we'll be able to do almost nine acres before we have to stop. So that really should increase our days to 75 acres, um, if not more. And that'll make a big difference for farmers across uh, Western Canada.
1: Yeah, that's and those those machines those are made, developed in Ireland. Were they not? And, and yeah. you know the fields are just not the same size as they are in Western Canada.
0: Yeah, and, exactly.
1: Yeah, trying to make it applicable to the field size and distances here is taking going to take a little bit.
0: And I do think that while I did say that it's going to be like once in every five years I will make corn grain. I was down at Pioneer last year in in Lethbridge out there. Uh, research facilities and there are flint varieties like uh, varieties that are meant for combining that are pushing down towards the 1800 heat units so you combine that with film and like we're not far away like we're probably two three years away from from finding a variety that on average will give us corn grain um, on a yearly basis so that that's pretty exciting Um, uh, definitely excited about that possibility yeah for sure that'd be massive it would be
1: so apart from corn, then you still feed. You still plan on doing barley silage. I'm, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a it's a hot topic at the moment because barley. Like we do we do uh, still uh, combine barley and, and feed a certain percentage of barley grain to the cows, um, just because growing it ourselves is cheaper than the corn grain. And we've only made so much earlage last last few years, so we haven't fed um uh, as much eelage as we probably could so i guess the question is why are we not seeding more eelage well yeah that's a question we'll we'll slowly answer the next couple of years and build our inventory up um it's still a relatively new product it's only the second year we fed it so to go all in on it is still a bit uh a bit crazy i guess because we're a farm that definitely manages our risk um on the scale that we are but uh, So you're saying I shouldn't go all in on the uh,
1: earlage uh, on my first year on my beef farm because I've uh, I'm pretty excited about it, but maybe I should be looking at managing my risk a little more and only doing half of it as earlage and half of it as corn
0: silage. Yeah, you just gotta gotta see what works for you. Like whenever we do things, like we we definitely will push the envelope and and do things that are that are risky, but. Yeah, you always want to have a backup plan. So I definitely wouldn't go um, hundred uh, percent because you don't know how it's going to feed. You don't know how it's going to turn out. And uh, barley is a is just a very stable product. Now, the reason why we've gone away from barley and towards corn is just barley has a ceiling and it's, it's a much easier ceiling to reach, but it, the ceiling never goes up. And corn, while the average is probably, yeah, without plastic, the average is probably a bit lower than the average of barley uh, on the silage basis. Um, the ceiling is just much higher. So when you can find something that can push your ceiling up, then you just have a way better product. And that's how we looked at it. We looked at getting average 16 to 18 ton an acre of better, uh, than, better than barley silage, corn silage. That was a no brainer for us. And so we started putting more and more acres in now, especially with the plastic. So the thing that still holds us back is that how much we can seed per day. Um, because now this year will be early, we will probably start seeding tomorrow it just takes us so long to seed and a couple of rain days in there by the end of the season we're seeding plastic around the same time people are, are starting to seed corn so then the advantage is still there but not as much anymore the big advantage is being able to get early into the ground like in mid-april or, or third week of april because then you automatically gain two weeks on people and, and we're not afraid to do that because the plastic gives us that frost risk um uh, so i think that when we go to a single row um plastic that will A it's a cost savings so we can afford to do more um uh, but also just seed so much faster and make it easier i think we'll start seeing a lot more uh corn silage uh, and just build our earlidge inventories and try to uh feed more and more of that product they don't make a 12 row planter there's six, there's six row where they max out i think they'll come like you said i think it's a company that's still working on uh Really, what they what they need to do is is and I think it's not quite possible, but enough time passes they'll be able to develop it. But you really just need an application that seeds behind a conventional corn seeder. So you go out and buy your thirty six row corn seeder from a from John Deere, and you just attach their rolls onto the back end. I mean, then 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 we're going right. Or seed with your conventional corn seeder, and then come in with a plastic applicator afterwards. And that way yeah. you don't have to worry. You just go out and seed an entire quarter and then that plastic machine comes in behind, and then you only have to focus on on the plastic and maybe some herbicide application, but the fertilizer and the corn are all being put down by the conventional seeder. So there are definitely options out there, but for, for the time being, this is the only way. And I think that single row is already a pretty big step in the right direction for us and out here in the big country. Yeah. But uh, we, do, uh, we do feed barley silage. We feed it to the dry cows, uh, heifers. We still need, yeah uh, uh, air quotations beef quality feed for our uh, non lactating animals um uh, so we're we're still growing barley silage i think i think this this if this year is another good year and we can really grow our inventories i think next year is the year where we seed probably some 80 90 day corns and then go for 20 22 ton an acre uh corn silage with no cobs basically so seed massive heat unit corn varieties no, we won't get any cobs, but then just basically, uh, uh, yeah, grow high digestible forages or fiber forages that are good for, for heifers and for dry cows.
1: So if you grow and did, did earlage on, on you know, uh, some of your corn, and then you did what you were just saying, go for the, the high D units and get no, no cobs, but you're getting the you're getting the tons what um do you think that's more do you, is that going to be more economical than finding that happy medium corn variety that's giving you both
0: yeah definitely because on the dry cows and the heifers we don't want the energy you, you want a, a one four nel with a uh what's a like a 12 protein uh but then the tonnage right so then we're looking at feed efficiency and feed costs for our non-lactating animals especially heifers it's just basically how how cheap can we feed them while maintaining the same growth rates? And, and by barley silage, you only ever really get eight, nine ton an acre um, uh, for for a good barley silage. And if you can get 16 to 20 on a corn silage, that alone is a huge cost saver. Right. So that yeah. those are some of the things we're looking at. We just we haven't summed up the courage or had enough crop rotation to put in a quarter of 90 day corn with the sole purpose of making heifer feed. And I and I say that jokingly because we were talking about how our farm really values uh, like uh, quality of feed. Now you're opting out to make non-quality feed, which is still just as important, but it's like a, it's a mental decision to make bad feed. And we've always struggled to make good feed, so we always ended up with bad feed. <laughs> so now it's like we're always making good feed, now we have to try and make some bad feed to, to make cheap feed, basically. Ever explored, so this year, I don't
1: think I'm gonna make any barley
0: silage this year.
1: I'm growing some barley to combine, but I'm actually planting white wheat. Soft white wheat is my silage, hmm. my cereal silage variety. Um, a few reasons for that is, is standability, you know, barley, especially on my high manure fields, barley tends to go down a fair bit and become quite difficult to, 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 you know, manage and get off the ground. And, um, and I think we're heading into a drought year and, uh, wheat is a lot more drought tolerant than, than barley is. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a few people switch and they've been happy with it. And so this year. We're making a switch. We're going to plant about 200 acres of soft white wheat to,
0: to put it in the pit, I guess. And try that. Interesting. I've never heard of soft white wheat for, for silage. I've heard of wheat silage, but it's, uh, I think in the dairy, it's not the first choice. It's always barley. So it's kind of interesting. I think it has lower digestibility. So I'm probably going a little bit
1: backwards on what I'm saying here <laughs> and what I'm striving for. But, you know, you make these judgment calls, right? Because, you know, barley does have its, it does have its own struggles, you know, lodging and, and going down and, and it is not a drought tolerant crop or two of the things that going into that decision-making.
0: Yeah. And, and those are all things that we've been through because we, we grew barley silage for, for 20 years. Like we've only ever been growing corn really since we moved to Camrose. And even then we've still been growing barley every year. And one of the things we tried once is because you, you're exactly right on. And, and for us, like we push the fertilizer into our barley to get the energy through the heads but then you automatically get straw growth, right? And we're only really interested in the top four inches of the plant and the bottom the bottom 30 inches are, are straw and just kind of useless. So the, the lower we can get that, that base, the more energy we get left over in our pit. So we tried uh, spraying a shortener on once. They used to do it for wheat crops um, so that they could, st- again, push the fertilizer to them to get the protein up in the wheat. But then because they did that, they the wheat would always grow grow flat. So they would spray shortener on, and, and for us it didn't work, but I don't know if, if that's something that, that you looked at.
1: No, I, again, we're in the drier yeah. area. I mean, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth right now. I'm talking on one side, I think we're in the drove here, then I'm talking to the other side saying, I'm worried about lodging, yeah. but usually, usually <laughs> those things each other. don't go hand in hand. So, but uh, you know, we, we typically struggle for moisture. The last two years we, we haven't, but uh, typically we struggle for moisture here. And uh, I don't know, I, I'd like to try things. And this year I'm trying, well, I'm trying a couple of things. I guess I'm, I'm planting corn for the first time. Um, and I'm using wheat as a, as a silage crop instead.
0: So which corn
1: variety are you growing? Well, that's a good question. It's Northstar Genetics is, it's not a pioneer brand. It's North Northstar Genetics is what I'm growing. What
0: the heck North. is
1: that? But, well, I don't know, it's, <laughs> it's what I've been sold on. It's, <laughs> uh, my, my neighbor is a rep for it. And, and, uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, for our area, it's, it's been outperforming pioneer varieties <laughs> and I'm uh, interested to try it.
0: Crazy. Interesting. So I heard of them.
1: We have, uh, you and I have a little bit different, different, um, uh, different capacities. You know, I think we've talked about this before. So, you know, you're a second generation, you, you, multiple employees you are able to spend time really researching a lot of different aspects of, of these varieties i'm running by the seat of my pants hair on fire so <laughs> many days of the week and so someone says look this corn variety works good i'll bring it to you i'll seat it for you oh, sounds good to me let's do her
0: yeah i can you respect know. that there's, yeah. there's a few things
1: and, and one day, maybe if one of my kids joined on the farm or whatever, I look forward to where there's a little bit more time. It's not, not hair on fire, trying to keep your head above water all the time. But, but, uh, yeah.
0: And I already know the answer to this and, and I, I will res- I respect your answer, but is it not cheaper to have someone hired in to do the running around hair on fire and you sit and make the decisions that could ultimately have a bigger impact on your business? might be the the
1: you know maybe we'll get to that point but you know the beef world just the the margins in beef are so tough and i think we're making some pretty good changes in our in our model you know we're not just a cow calf and we're not just a feedlot we do a lot of different research projects and and we do a lot of value add with embryo work and ai work and that sort of thing so so i'm you know I'm starting to see the effects of that, and it's exciting. But you know, two years ago, if you'd asked me that question, <laughs> there, there's no money there. There's yeah. there's there's just like no money. And sometimes you get lost. Yeah, you know, we can't see the, the trees for the forest, I guess, or the forest for the trees, I should say. And you're right. You probably spend more time losing money by being hair on fire, and not making the right decisions. <laughs> yeah. But um, we're also a family farm that. I kind of vowed that we'd never have an employee for some reason that was important to me. And I don't know if that was correct, but you know, we, we did have a previous business mm-hmm. that we had quite a few employees and I had, you know, I kind of ended when we, we when we, uh, you know, dispersed for the business, I kind of had my fill of employees for a while. And it's been several years now, so maybe I'll, I'll forget and forgive and maybe we'll get an employee again one day.
0: Yeah. They, and we talked about this off air and we'll keep it off air, but the employees come with their own set of headaches and, yeah. and while you're right, there are some days where I wish I was the one running around with my hair on fire, because then it would at least be my own hair. And now I run around putting out fires on other people's hair. <laughs> and that, yeah. that comes with its own set of challenges as well. One week, you're a psychologist, one week, you're a financial planner, one week, you're you're a social worker. It's It's crazy. It's a crazy world.
1: I guess I've taken the approach, you know, my kids are teenagers, right? So they're, they're common and, and I'm not saying they have to farm. I certainly hope one of them at least wants to, mm-hmm. but I've taken the approach that I'd rather hire out jobs than get an employee. Right. So I could hire somebody to do my seating instead. Then I don't have a tractor payment repairs and maintenance fuel. They come in, they do my seating. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I'd, I've taken that approach instead. And then if, you know, this, if, if I find that we're too busy, well, we better figure out what we need to, you know, we better figure out that, that item that's 80% of the work and only 20% of the profit and start making ourselves more efficient rather than just adding more expense.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. And and that happens in the dairy industry too. Um, like, because so we don't do our own silaging and, and the, the money makes sense, but it's it's the ability to do multiple things well that that scares us away is because, like, we, we know dairy farms that... That, uh, that have their own chopping equipment and, and they do literally everything themselves and, and they acquire a lot of margins along the way because they cut everyone out um, and then do all the work themselves. But I've heard those guys say too, like I, I, I hop on the chopper for an afternoon and one cow gets mastitis in the barn, I don't catch her on time, I haven't made any money or I've just made different money that day. So yeah. that, that's how we look at things too. Like, I definitely agree. Like we, we have our manure uh, hired out. We have our uh, custom chopping hired out. Um, uh, but I think at a certain point when we get to a size where we can have the employees to do those things as well, where you have your own outfits inside your own farms, then that's something that we'll look at. But yeah, there's definitely something to be said about maintaining quality in, in a small amount of uh, parts of the farm, instead of having mediocrity across many parts of the farm
1: yeah I kind of view and who knows when the time comes but if, if if one of my kids or multiple kids want to join the farm I mean one one area where I think we can logically expand into is is doing a lot more of our own grain work and maybe having more grain acres I think that's a pretty natural easy you know comfortable fit to start doing more of and and more of our own work in that in that front but yeah it's uh I'm still still probably quite a few years away from that. They need to finish school and go and find what they want to do for sure in life, and you know, go to college or something for a couple of years. So yeah,
0: yeah, no, definitely gotta let them. You gotta let them find their own way back to the farm, because otherwise, uh, otherwise, it might not, it might not be for them, or it might not, it might be forced on them, and then then it gets old quicker. If they want to farm, then they'll be around forever. Yeah, that's right yeah
1: so i think i think that was a pretty good pretty good discussion about cropping uh, plans and i appreciate i appreciate that uh, you shared your your uh, insight with us and then and, and I, I do i'm serious so at the beginning i think i've told you some before you know conversations i think that's one area that is the most intriguing to me that beef guys could learn from dairy about so it's yeah. something that i i'm pretty excited about trying some new things and I'm sure there'll be many years of trying a lot of new things and kind of following some of the things that you guys do. So
0: I'm yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's fun making quality feed. And I mean, you, you won't know what quality feed is until like, there you come, a, come across a year where you don't make it. And like we do a lot of uh, budgeting and financial analysis on our farm in house and, I can see the numbers when when we have bad years it's just you can't do anything about that feed cost price because it just keeps rising and if you don't do it your milk production drops so you you might still make a bit of money but it, your margins are so much tighter it, their room for air is so much so much tighter so if you can make good quality feed you make your life a lot easier and just healthier cows the more high quality forages and I mean this is at least on the dairy side because we, we play with, with rations that are 50-50 on, on concentrated forages and if we can push that, that forage number up to 60% forage and still have the energy uh, total the same on a diet, we have so much healthier cows and it makes such a big difference.
1: I have no scientific research for this, but this year we fed the least amount of barley we have ever fed hmm. and we had good quality silage, but we fed the least amount of barley we ever fed and we've never had so such good health right like we we have confined feeding we have we have several hundred ahead of yearlings in confined feeding pens, right so man you can those uh November to January months are are pretty tough sometimes right those lean calves and bad weather and like this year was just it was just a breeze like you didn't have anybody bloating didn't have anybody getting pneumonia and I'm not saying pneumonia is related to this in any way I think that's maybe just Maybe the weather was right at the right times when they're stressed the most. I don't know,
0: but it's certainly nice not having to worry about bloat. I think an ammonia is, is to a small degree related, if your cows are healthy, their immune systems are high. So they might've dealt with the exact same factors they did last year, but with just a different, different set of immune systems in place. And then that might've been just enough to push them over the edge to not get it. Right. Yep.
1: Well, that's right
0: yeah, yeah. So, so well
1: yeah that was a that was a good conversation i guess that brings us to the the end here where we do our wtf segment what the farm so i think uh we're going to do um one of us is going to do a good thing that happened on the farm this week and one of us is going to do a bad thing that happened on the farm this week yeah and i can't remember what we decided so why don't you go first and i'll take the opposite
0: yeah sure so i'll do uh i'll do positive we've been working uh with a HR consultant on uh, kind of uh, streamlining wage progressions on the farm and uh, bonuses and a uh, few things like that, which has been exciting. It's kind of new for us to, to hire someone like that in. Um, uh, we've always had really good employee retention actually, um, uh, but it's, it's more about being fair to the guys that, that make our operation tick like it does. Um, uh, so we, uh, we put in a quality milk bonus now And it's something that we've always been pretty good at, but there's always room for improvement. And uh, so basically uh, somatic cell count, for those that don't know, is a white blood cell, white blood uh, indicator in the milk. And basically just like us, when there's an infection or some sort of uh, problem with the cow, uh, she sends white blood cells into the udder. And so when the milk has a higher somatic cell count, that means there's a chance there's infection or, or some other sort of bacteria strain going on. And so the lower our count, the better it is basically. So Alberta milk has, I think under 250,000 cell count. You already get a quality bonus to the producers. And then there's penalties uh, if any producer goes over 400,000 or the milk's not even accepted. So our farm strives for having quality milk under 200,000. So what I did is uh, I got this from a farm uh, a couple years ago. I visited in the States that they were actually a really big farm. I think they milk 20,000 cows across three different uh, locations and uh, they would have competitions between their different milking crews and so what he had done is he had set up led signs in his parlors that he could control remotely and send their daily somatic cell counts so every time the milk's picked up we get our somatic cell count back in the afternoon so we know what it's what it's at and uh, so what he did is he uploaded those remotely and then had bonuses and competitions between staff so for us we only have one parlor of course or one milking crew but what we decided is we'd put in a quality milk bonus and then also kind of visualize to the employees. So they're held accountable, but they're also kind of excited to walk into the barn in the morning and see that led sign with, with yesterday's somatic cell count. So that's what we did this week and it, it all worked out good. The technology was working for me good after a couple minutes of figuring it out. So that's kind of exciting. What about you? What was your WTF moment of the week? Well, I guess I got to take bad then. So we'll go with, we'll go with what I talked about.
1: I, I we're dry it's, it's really dry. Yep. And today I was actually when I was feeding, I saw some big black plumes of smoke to the east. And I thought to myself, hmm, that's kind of over where, where my cousin is. And I didn't think about it too much more. And I kind of watched it for a minute I was saying, okay, do I go jump in my truck? It was it was quite a ways off, like it was probably 50 miles away, you could see the black smoke, though, right? And, and so I thought, I mean, what are the odds that it's my cousin's place? And the black smoke quickly went away and all stuff. But anyways, a couple hours later, I found out it was my cousin's place. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> luckily, it wasn't anything. It was just he had had a, a brush pile that he had burnt in the winter. And the wind kind of whipped it up today and huh. it went across the grass. And anyways, they got it out. And that's good. And then within a half an hour of that black smoke, then I saw another one to the north. And it was a farm by Stettler. It uh, lost a whole bunch of feed, a bunch of their bales stacked oh, no. up. And then, about a half an hour, an hour after that, another place right on the edge of Stettler, uh, an industrial shop, uh, went on caught fire. So, yeah, those, uh, th- that's not good. I mean, it's not directly W2F, my farm, for the fires, but it's uh, it's dry. And, you know, that's got to be pretty vigilant right now. It's it's a little worrisome, but I mean, that could change on a dime, but right now it's dry.
0: Yeah. So I guess kudos to all the volunteer firefighters that are in all our small little hamlets and towns everywhere. You guys are the real heroes in this time for the, for the farmers. So keep, keep up, uh, keep up the good work and keep all those grass fires. So minimal. we don't need another Fort McMurray situation getting on our hands here. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, the conditions are pretty much prime for it right now.
1: They are for sure. And you get into the areas where there's more grassland and yeah, Yeah. it's pretty dangerous.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good. Thank you again for, uh,
0: the evening, Jake.
1: And thanks. Thank you everybody for listening. If you want to uh, follow us, we're on our various social media platforms. Most everything I have is at Nielsen beef and Nielsen is N-E-I-L-S-O-N. And then you can find Jake at uh, his various spots.
0: Yep. And, uh,
1: yeah, we appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you listening. All right. Whatever thanks,
0: guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>